0: Good morning! It's nice to be with you this morning. I've actually never been in the building. I've driven by it a few times, and I know several of you, and I've known the Bungies, of course. I, um, David, I've uh, had in class, and so it's a privilege to be here with you. I'm here with my three oldest sons. Uh, they're sitting over here, and they'll hopefully sit nicely through the service, I brought the older ones. My wife had some obligations this morning at our church, so she took the two younger children there. Uh, we will all be here tonight as a family, and uh, so we we look forward to visiting with you and ministering in the Word with you this evening. Uh, for the day, actually, I'd like to be in the Book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter one this morning. Isaiah chapter one. I am currently teaching a class on Isaiah. And uh, it is a, a book of the Bible that's huge. It's sixty-six chapters. It's absolutely huge, and uh, a lot of people really focus on that Jesus is all the way through the Book of Isaiah, and he is. There's a lot of Jesus um, through the book. In fact, Jesus' name means salvation, and I like to. I encourage people to read through the Book of Isaiah, and every time you see the word salvation, you could actually just, you know. Say Jesus there, because that's what the word is in Hebrew. It's Jesus. And it's just fascinating to see how some of those things line up. It's never announced in the Old Testament that Jesus' name would be Jesus. His name is announced as Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. um, But that is something that's revealed in the New Testament, that this Savior, our Savior, his name would actually be Savior, Jesus. That's what it is. So Isaiah chapter 1 is the text that I I would like to look at with you this morning, and uh, this is an excellent passage that talks about the holiness of God, our sinfulness, and our need for reconciliation. And as we work through this text, I hope that you would look at your life and that you might discover, see, recognize some sin that might be in your life. Perhaps you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, and you are at enmity with God. And God hates your sin, and he wants you to, to repent of that sin and to turn to him. God seeks reconciliation. God seeks reconciliation. And in this passage, we see, we see God's offer for reconciliation despite our wickedness. If you could just follow in your copy of God's Word as we read Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Verse seven, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But... If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you would speak to us through your word. Your word is precious. Help us to understand the message from Isaiah chapter 1. I pray that we would apply it to our lives at, at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Right in front of me, there's this little uh, placard, and it says, God is holy, or something like that. I've already forgotten it. It's speaking about the holiness of the Lord. What is a major theme of the book of Isaiah? The holiness of God. God hates sin. Do you think about that, believer? Through my study of Isaiah, time and time again, I've been... I've been brought to my knees in prayer to God, that he might reveal in my heart some wickedness, that I might confess that sin, God hates sin. How much does he hate sin? We see it here in this text. In verses 2 through 9, we see our problem. The problem of Israel is our problem. It is our wickedness. Look at what we have in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, Look at how the poet brings the heavens and the earth to witness. Well, who was there when when God brought Israel out of Egypt? Who was there when God parted the Red Sea and brought Israel across? Who was there when the waters came crashing down upon the Egyptians? Who was there when God sustained them with bread from heaven through the wilderness? Who was there when God brought them into the land of Israel? The heavens were there. The earth was there. They witnessed the providing hand of God. But Israel, they've rebelled. They've rejected their God. Look at the analogy he creates in verse 3. The ox knows its owner. Even the the stupid ox knows that, you know what, if I want food, I've got to go back to the barn. Look at the donkey. The donkey knows its master's crib. The donkey's a donkey. It's dumb. But even it's smart enough to know, you know what, man, I'm kind of hungry. I need to go back to where the food's at. Who has provided for Israel? God has. But do they come back to the Lord when they've sinned and when God has punished them and brought their sin to mind? No. Essentially, Isaiah is saying in this text, you're dumber than an ox. You're stupider than a donkey. Even they know how to go back to, they, even they know to go back to the one who provides for them. God has provided so much for us. He has given us tons of blessings in this rich country. But you know, sometimes trials come our way. Do you know God brought trials Israel's way as well? He did. How do you respond to those trials? Before we get there, let's look at verse 4. We have the wickedness of Israel being portrayed in verse 4. Alas, sinful nation. They're sinful. A people laden with iniquity. They're full of iniquity. It's this burden that they're bearing. They're the offspring, the children, a brood of evildoers. And look at this last one. Not only are they wicked, but the things around them and the people that are around him they corrupt them. They are corruptors. Israel is rebuked for their wickedness. This is the problem. Israel's problem is our problem. It's our sin. If you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I have really bad news for you. Our sin separates us from God. We cannot look upon, we cannot be with or near a holy God. Look at what we see at the end of verse 4. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. The Lord God is holy. He cannot look at sin. He cannot tolerate sin. He hates sin. And this is our problem, our wickedness. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, this is a major problem for you because that means that the wrath of God is still laid to your account. If you have any questions about sin and to have your sin forgiven, come and talk to myself or or one of the deacons here. Uh, We would love to show you how you can have your sins forgiven. Believer, Perhaps you've trusted in Christ as your personal savior, but you're still living in sin. How is God treating you? What is going on in your life? Look at verses five and six. Look at this rhetorical question at the beginning of verse five. Why should you be stricken again? God asks Israel, you know, why should I hit you again? It's like, wait a minute. Has he been hitting us? Yeah, he's been beating the snot out of Israel and Judah here. He's been pummeling them again and again. Look at this description we have in 5 and 6. You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. So first it's the head, then it's the heart. The whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There's no soundness in it. The whole body has been beaten to pieces. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Imagine this person that has just gone through the ringer in a fight. And their body is beaten to the pieces. And after that, what do they usually do? Well, they go to the hospital or go see a physician, all right? And they get those wounds all wrapped up and bound up so that they start to heal. But is that what's been going on with Israel? No. Look at the text. Those sores, they've not been closed. They've not been bound up. They've not been soothed with ointment. No medicine's been put on them. This is Israel. And God's like, man, I've been punishing you. Why has God been punishing them? Because he wants to beat them up? No, because he's trying to draw them back to the one who provides for them. He is their provider. The Lord God is our provider. Sometimes trials come into our life and sometimes those trials are because we live in a sin-cursed world. Sometimes those trials are because God has some grand plan and we may not know what it is, but sometimes trials come into our life Because we're living in sin and God's trying to wake us up. Sometimes God's punching you because he loves you. And he wants you to repent of that sin and turn to the Lord. Here is Israel and they are all beaten to pieces. And God asks this question at the beginning of five. Why should you even be stricken again? We have a problem. Our problem is sin and God hates our sin. What can be done for this problem? Before we get to the solution, however, we first have this explanation in 7 through 9, a specific explanation of Israel and specifically Judah and Jerusalem and what God has done to them. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire strangers devour your land in your presence and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers this is the specific beating that god has given to judah it continues in verse 8 so the daughter of zion is left as a booth in a vineyard as a hut in a garden of vineyards as a besieged city and that's what they were it tells the story in isaiah 36 37 about how Israel, Jerusalem, the city of Zion, um, the daughter of Zion, it was besieged. And that was all that was left. The chastening hand of the Lord is a blessing, not a curse. If you're living in sin, I pray that God's hand of chastening is being felt because that means God loves you. God loves you anyway, but God rebukes the one. He chastens the ones he loves. God loves Israel. He loves Judah. He loves Jerusalem, and he chastened them. Jerusalem, Judah, the whole thing, it should have been completely wiped out. In verse 9, it says, except for the Lord of hosts had left to us a small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Okay, now, you know, okay, so we got this problem. This problem is sin. We have a, I have a sin problem. Well, what's the solution? And there are a lot of people, you know, they do something wrong. They do something wicked. And, and they're like, man, I messed up. I've got to fix it. What's the solution to fixing it? And our world comes up with tons of solutions, let me tell you. And they're all pretty much wrong. That's what Israel did. They came up with solutions, too. In verses 10 through 15, we have man's solution. Let us read. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Look at that question. Why are you sacrificing, God asks? Now, I read that question, and I'm like, You know, they must have been thinking, well, duh, we're sacrificing because we're sinners, and that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's what they would have been thinking. Like, okay, yeah, okay, we, we sinned, we sinned, we messed up. So what do we do? Well, we need to go and sacrifice. And God's saying, what's the purpose of the multitude of your sacrifices to me, huh? And then God goes on and says, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams i don't want your burnt offerings i don't want them and can you imagine the people of israel just kind of scratching their heads and wondering what but we've sinned what are we supposed to do if we sin we're supposed to offer a burnt offering what's more the fat oh man that's the good part by the way you know i like a ribeye ribeye's a really good steak that fat laced in there oh man that's really good the fat's the good part and that's supposed to be the part that, you know, is the best of the cow. You stick that on the offering and offer it to the Lord. That's the really good part. And God doesn't want that. Oh, wait a minute. What's the last one? I do not delight in the blood. The blood is what provides the atonement. God's not pleased with the blood. What is wrong here? He continues his exhortation against them in 12 through 15 when you come to appear before me who has required this from your hand to trample my courts imagine being israel and they're thinking to themselves god you require us to come to the temple three times a year there are these pilgrimage festivals we're supposed to come to your courts but god doesn't want them there Have you ever thought about this? Why do you come to church? Why do you give money or time, resources to to God? There's a a missionary. Actually, he, interestingly enough, he was, I actually saw him yesterday. Ron Self. uh, He was on at Faith. um, He's a missionary in Argentina. And he was telling me this story one time about, how God provides. And God provides. I mean, it's just amazing. Sometimes I hear these stories about how God provides. And and even with the flooding that faith endured and and uh, um, and how God brought in money to, to get our campus back in order. God provides. And he uses some <laughs> interesting means to provide. And this missionary is telling me about how this guy sent him like $50,000. And it's like, holy smokes, $50,000. And he wanted to get in touch with this guy. Not to you know get more money out of them or anything no no he wanted to get in touch with them because think about it what does that guy probably think that he he did by giving all that money to this missionary oh yeah man god and i we are good now let me tell you god and i we we are solid that's good you know it doesn't matter if you offer 10 cows as sacrifices 50 cows as sacrifices $50,000, $100,000, guess what? That doesn't take care of sins. That doesn't remove the sin that separates you from a holy God. And God does, what does he say in those verses in verse 11? He's like, I don't want your sacrifices. Forget the fat. Forget the blood. I want nothing to do with it. Because you're gross. You're disgusting. Your sin. I cannot tolerate it. I hate it hate your sin so he first talks about what they've given to him and then in 12 through 15 he talks about their presence before him they're coming before him thinking oh this is going to smooth things over between me and god so many people create a religion and this is what they do they're like man i'm gonna please god in this way by doing this thing by coming to church by giving this money man, God and I are just going to be on good grounds. And what God says is like, I don't want anything to do with you. Because what does God want? He wants humility. He wants repentance. He doesn't want some external deed. He wants your heart. That's what God wants. And we're getting there. We're getting there in this text, but we're not there yet. First, we have this presence and God hates their presence. Look at verse 13. Bring no more futile sacrifices. These sacrifices that you're doing, that you're offering to me, they're nothing. I don't want them. They're gross. Incense. It's an abomination to me. These sacred assemblies and everything that they did, the new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. God doesn't want it. He's like, stay away verse 14 is along those same lines your new moons and your appointed feasts in this verse this line right here is climactic my soul hates we live in a culture that hates hate (laughs) you can't hate anything anymore it seems like i've been accused of being a hater once you quit hating the direct object is usually let off, you know, because you just aren't supposed to hate, period. Then maybe we can have a real conversation I've been accused of. I have news for our culture. Guess what? There are certain things that God hates, and it is very just of us to hate them as well. As we look at the ravages of sin the ramifications of sin and all that it's done and all that, it, all that it does, why would you not hate it? It is biblical to hate sin as God hates sin. Sin makes us stupid, just like the ox and the donkey in Israel. Israel has completely lost their minds. I was teaching Sunday school last week and I was talking to the college students about how, you know, when we are ruled by our emotions, our mind ceases to function. When somebody gets angry and they completely lose it, their mind is no longer thinking. If it was thinking, then they wouldn't have taken their fist and bashed it into the wall. Then had to go to the hospital because they blasted their hand into pieces. It's happened at faith. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) They weren't thinking. Sin, it makes us dumb. We just stop thinking. God hates sin. My soul hates their appointed meetings when they're coming together supposedly to worship and serve God. Verse 15. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Your hands are full of blood. Do you see the irony here? At the end of verse 11, God says, I don't delight in the blood of bulls the blood of the bulls is supposed to atone for their wickedness, for their sin. But because they're offering the sacrifices with the wrong motives, with an impure heart, what they're essentially doing is they're trying to manipulate God. You can't manipulate God. You can't pay him off. You can't buy off God with some sacrifice. So the irony is that what's supposed to provide the atonement, God is not even looking at it. He turns away and he won't even look at it because your hands are full of blood. The blood that's supposed to provide the atonement is visible to God and he hates it. It's disgusting. And he says, get out, get out of the temple. I don't want to see it. Then in verse 16 and 17, we begin to see God's solution. So this is man's false solution. We see this everywhere in our society. You can see man trying to atone for their sin, trying to get on good a good relationship with God all over in our society. You just need to do this and to do that. You need to obey this or obey that, and then you'll have a, a good relationship with God. You know what it really takes? It takes something called humility. And this is an illustration I like to use. You know, if I've offended my wife, I'd much rather, you know, do the dishes and vacuum that living room, okay? I'd much rather, you know, buy a new, uh, I don't know, whatever, phone or computer, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's a whole lot easier than saying, I sinned. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Because what does that take? It takes humility. It takes, I was wrong. Instead, it's a whole lot easier to just do something, to do some good deed, to buy something. And that's what our society, our society has that same perception with God. You've got to just make up for it. And you, you've got too much on the sin scale, so you've got to do some things and put it on the righteousness scale doesn't work that way god wants you to come before him in humility and repent of his sin uh, repent of your sin okay 16 and 17 wash yourselves make yourselves clean put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes remember back in verse 15 they were spreading out their hands and what does god say i'm gonna hide my eyes from you i'm not looking at you you're disgusting and he's like get the evil out of your lives I'm a holy God. Quit sinning. So we have three commands there. Then we have three more. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Put off wickedness and put on godliness. Put on righteousness. Learn to do good. Seek justice. And so these last four are more applicable to judges and then also to Israel themselves rebuke the oppressor defend the fatherless plead for the widow nine commands three three and then three 18 through 20 we have God's solution come now and let us reason together this is judicial terminology remember back in verse 2 God has called the heavens and the earth to account to judge between himself and Israel now, in verse 18, he returns to, the, to this judicial terminology. Come, let's reason together. Let's talk about this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Now, remember what God rejected of theirs back in verse 11? I do not delight in the blood of bulls. What color is blood? Red. That blood that was supposed to atone for their sin, sin, God is like, I don't want to have anything to do with it because you're wicked. You're evil. Keep it away from me. It's gross. That blood that was supposed to atone for their sin, it did not because their hearts were evil, their deeds were wicked, and their hearts were wicked. Verse 15, they're accused of, your hands are full of blood. They're guilty of sin. Can that blood truly be atoned for? And the answer is yes. It can. And this is what's so beautiful about true, genuine Christianity. This is what's so amazing about a just and loving God. That you can actually have your sins forgiven. And you don't have to pay a million dollars to me. But if you have a million dollars and you want to give it to me, I suppose I'll take it. But it's not going to help you with your relationship with God. What do you need to do to have your sins forgiven? You need to repent of your sin. You need to humble yourself and tell this holy, awesome God, I am guilty. Forgive me, Lord. Look at this text. Look at what it says here in 18 through 20. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though though they are red like crimson, see the red? Okay? Red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. You need to do it. Repent of your sin. Do what is right. Do what is righteous. In the land of Israel, especially during the siege of. This had a very practical ramification for them. If they obeyed and were obedient, they would physically eat the good of the land. God would deliver them from the Assyrian army. We have no guarantee of being delivered or uh, receiving such a deliverance, but this is the way that God does often work. If you repent, if you uh, turn to the Lord in obedience, often God does work this way where you do receive blessings. You're not guaranteed anything, but you do often receive blessings. In this specific situation, Israel is guaranteed. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. The, The interesting thing is that they have a choice. They will either... They can either eat or be eaten. Look at the text. Look at verse 20. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured. You will be eaten by the sword. I can imagine Isaiah preaching this. Eat or be eaten. The choice is yours. God doesn't want your sacrifices. God doesn't want your sacred assemblies. God wants you. God wants your repentance. God wants your heart. God wants you, believer. What sin is it that is besetting you? What sin is it that is harming your relationship with God? Does sin, um, Does sin infringe upon our relationship with God? Yes, it does. Just just like it, it infringes upon the relationship between Israel and God. In verse 15, does God hear our prayers when we are living in sin? No, he doesn't. Though you offer many prayers, I do not listen. What sin is in your life? Repent of that sin. Ask forgiveness of your spouse. Ask forgiveness of that brother in the Lord here in church. Ask ask the pastor or whoever for forgiveness. Repent of your sin. Be free. Be truly free. You know, doing some good deed, you you don't get free. It doesn't free you. You're still bound by that guilty conscience because you sinned. And doing some good deed doesn't acquit you. You're still guilty. That's the amazing thing about true Christianity. You can really be free. You just need to repent. Confess your sin. Repent of that sin and be forgiven. At the end of verse 20, it says, For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah uh, 1, verse 2 begins, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. In Isaiah 1, 19 through 20, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. And the ultimate eating is by the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken let's close in prayer lord we are wicked sinners our sin is ever before you i pray that we might have eyes to see help us to examine our lives and to see the wickedness within i pray that uh, any here if there is some unconfessed sin that they may repent of it May they go to that brother yeah. or sister in the Lord, and may they confess it. And I pray that there would be uh, harmony, peace, true freedom from yeah. that sin. I pray if there are any here, Lord, that, are, um, that have never trusted in you as their own personal Savior, and, and they are at enmity with you, that uh, you are angry with them, Lord, I pray that they would come and talk to myself or one of the deacons and that they may have their sins forgiven. Lord, I pray that each one here, that they would, that they would not be destroyed, but that they would prosper uh, in uh, having been forgiven, Lord, and in Jesus' name.